Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at SalemAlliance.org. Today we're continuing our series called Choices, Decisions That Shape the Soul. Good morning. It's good to see all of you. We are getting back into the books of Samuel this morning, and if you feel like you've fallen behind, or perhaps if you are new with us and you really haven't gotten to be part of this study, I want to invite you to go to the Pursuits desk. I think you can buy the Bible study book there. You could do it on your own or maybe grab a friend to do it. Or you can go to the website and listen to the podcasts, which are free. And we've been at this study um, since the fall. As the chapters of Samuel have been rolling by, we've been getting to know David. And as the decades of his life passed, he has certainly had his ups and downs. But through it all, he kept relating with God personally. Across time, he didn't get to know God while isolated in the palace, but he got to know God through the ordinary activities of his life, when he was out there on the hillside tending sheep, when he was running for his life from Saul, when he was mired in his sin, when he was responding to the correction of those about his sin, when he faced the giant with nothing other than a slingshot. Across all the decades of his life, David related personally with God. And we come to a story in 2 Samuel chapter 24 this morning, and it's a very perplexing one, but we'll see David continuing to relate. I want to try to summarize this story, and it begins with something ordinary enough, so it seems, and that's that David orders a census be taking, but it leads to all kinds of trouble. Some scholars believe that David really was just interested in how many military forces did he have. Like if he could get his army powered high enough, they would be secure against the nations around them. Maybe, maybe David was forgetting that it was God who would keep them secure. As soon as the numbers came in, as soon as David got the results of the census and all these military numbers, he realized what he had done was wrong. No one had to tell him. His heart was tender. He told God he was sorry, and he begged forgiveness. And in this strange twist of events, God offered an option of three punishments, and it turns out that a plague falls on the nation, but it will only last three days. As David, the leader of the people, watched their suffering, he knew it was his fault, and God sets up this interaction that reveals part of David's heart that perhaps we've not yet seen. David didn't blame other people. He stood up like we would hope a leader would. He's no longer taking all that he can get because he's the king. But he's preparing to give all that he can give because God 
is the king. David is told to go and build an altar to God on the property that's owned by a man named Arana. And we get to this story in 2 Samuel chapter 24, and I'll begin reading in verse 19. It's on page 530 in the Bible that's there in the rack. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him. When Arana saw the king and his men coming toward him, he came and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Why have you come, my lord the king? Arana asked. David replied, I've come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. A threshing floor would have been the place where the wheat was brought and taken through a process so that the parts that were edible were separated from the parts that were just kind of the garbage parts. And so this would have been the economic center place of Arana's farming enterprise. Verse 22, he says, Take it, my lord the king, and use it as you wish. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and you can use the threshing boards and ox yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar. I will give it all to you, your majesty, and may the lord your God accept your sacrifice. Obviously, Arana has been there. He's been experiencing this plague with the people. The king comes to him. He knows it's a time of national crisis, and he just says, take it all. It's all yours. But listen to how King David responds to him in verse 24. No, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid for the land. He built the altar. God answered the prayer, and the plague stopped. As we've studied these books, we all know that David has been found guilty of a lot of things, but there's one thing he will not do, and that's offer cheap worship to God. David isn't looking for a Groupon worship. He isn't looking for a 90-day same-as-cash altar. He's not looking for 48 months interest-free No, no, no. David is going to worship where his conscience is clear, where God Almighty is elevated above everything else. David won't skimp when it comes to worshiping God. And that's the end of the chapter. It's the end of the book. But it's not the end of the story. We'll pick up in just a minute with 1 Chronicles, but we need to realize when we go there and we step right into this very story, 450 years have passed since Samuel was written before Chronicles was written. So evidently, for generation after generation after generation, Nobody was making much of a fuss about what King David did right after he declared, I won't give offerings that cost me nothing. I want to suggest that while the cameras stopped rolling, while the media ran off to follow another king, David was worshiping. He was giving offerings that cost him dearly, whether anybody noticed or not. 
First Chronicles unpacks more of this story. The land that David bought to build the altar on is actually the place where the temple of God will be built. David wanted to build the temple. A couple months ago, Rod taught us about that moment when he said, here I am living in a palace, but the ark of God is in a tent. David could see the temple. He could touch it. He could almost taste it. Except for the fact that God said no. A couple of weeks ago, I got a phone call. I was here at church one afternoon and my daughter's school called and it turns out the next morning she'd be getting an award. And so I got all excited. I was the mother of an award winner and I started strategizing through the night. How would I get there on time? You can imagine, I had these visions, Nick and me there, all proud parents of an award winner, patting each other on the back. It was a clear result of our good parenting, I'm sure. All through the night, I just had these thoughts. The next morning, I got up, and as the mother of an award winner, there was a spring in my step. I organized everybody, got Nick out the door, got my daughter out the door, and then like every morning... I obviously can't leave home until my boys go get the school bus. So on that morning, we were out at the curb waiting. And when the bus driver opened the door, she looked at me and said, well, you must have something going. You're not in your sweatpants and baseball cap. (laughs) My boys got on the bus. I hopped in the van, I looked at the clock, and it was going to be great. I was singing praise songs with a CD while I drove toward the school. And then, a slow, long, graffiti-laden train. As I pulled my van into my spot, waiting, I just shouted out to God, you have got to be kidding me. I banged my head on the steering wheel. I shook my head. I didn't get to school to see the award. What do you and I do when we're disappointed like that? David wanted to build a temple, but God told him no. And instead of running away from God in disappointment, David ran toward God in worship. He wasn't looking for the praise men would give him at the ribbon cutting of the temple. No, David was walking humbly with God, declaring the matchless worth of God from deep within a disappointed heart. What's the price tag on worship for you today? What will it cost you to bow low to the King of Kings? We all walked into this room and Laura invited us to sing and she acknowledged that for some of us it comes naturally and for others of us it's a struggle. Did those words pour out of you or did they cause you to stop and pause? It's sometimes hard to shout the goodness of God when truth be known, we don't actually like what he's done or what he hasn't done. Maybe you're here and 
You're disappointed. You thought your dream was in sight, and then that train stopped you, and God said no. That's when worship has a price tag. Let's look at David's words again. I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. There was a price tag on David's words. And as we go over to 1 Chronicles, the words will be on the screen behind me. I'll read and you can follow along. And we're going to see what unfolded in David's story. Picking up in chapter 22, verse 6. Then David sent for his son Solomon and instructed him to build a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel. My son, I wanted to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God, David told him. But the Lord said to me, you've killed many men in the battles you've fought. And since you have shed so much blood in my sight, you will not be the one to build a temple to honor my name. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace. I will give him peace with his enemies in all the surrounding lands. His name will be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. He is the one who will build a temple to honor my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father. And I will secure the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. David laid his dream on the altar of God. David won't get to build the temple because of bloodshed. But it's interesting, the only reason he wound up in the military was because God put him in charge of the military. David's obedience actually led him further from getting to live out his own dream. A quick review of his life would reveal to us that shepherding and songwriting were his natural inclinations. What better way he maybe was thinking to exercise those gifts than to build a temple, gather the people, and lead them in worship, lead them to God. But David didn't get to live that dream I have a friend that I worked with more than 20 years ago, and like all of us, she wanted to be married and have kids. Well, across the years, friend after friend after friend of hers got to live that dream while it was slipping away from her. And during this time, God nudged her in a way he never had before, and she responded obediently and she began to volunteer in a NICU, an intensive care unit for premature babies. Over the course of years, she logged thousands of hours just holding and ministering to these precious babies whose birth mothers weren't yet able to care for them. And a very awkward piece of the story is while she was Hidden away there in the NICU, she was certainly not able to be out there meeting that eligible Christian man. But there was the plan she had for her life. And there was the plan that God had. And she laid her own plan. She laid her dream on the altar. And at that moment, her worship had a price tag. 
David's dream was to build the temple. But he brought glory to God when he let go of his own dream so that he could embrace the plan God had for him. Rolling on over into 2 Chronicles 28, verse 11. Then David gave Solomon the plans for the temple and its surroundings, including the entry room, the storerooms, the upstairs rooms, the inner rooms, and the inner sanctuary, which was the place of atonement. David also gave Solomon all the plans he had in mind for the courtyards of the Lord's temple, the outside rooms, the treasuries, and the rooms for the gifts dedicated to the Lord. The king also gave Solomon the instructions concerning the work of the various divisions of priests and Levites in the temple of the Lord, and he gave specifications for the items in the temple that were to be used for worship. David gave instructions regarding how much gold and silver should be used to make the items needed for service. He told Solomon the amount of gold needed for the gold lampstands and lamps, and the amount of silver for the silver lampstands and lamps, depending on how each would be used. He designated the amount of gold for the table on which the bread of presence would be placed and the amount of silver for other tables. David also designated the amount of gold for the solid gold meat hooks used to handle the sacrificial meat and for the basins, pitchers, and dishes, as well as the amount of silver for every dish. He designated the amount of refined gold for the altar of incense. Finally, he gave Solomon a plan for the Lord's chariot, the gold cherubim whose wings were stretched out over the ark of the Lord's covenant. Every part of this plan, David told Solomon, was given to me in writing from the hand of the Lord. David laid his ego on the altar and he worshiped God in that way. Feel the weight of this one with me. The temple is a great idea. It was God's idea, and he gave it to David in so much detail. Imagine the drawings, the measurements, the splendor, the fun it must have been when David went off on retreat and received all this from God. There was just one thing. All of this intellectual property, all these great ideas... David was simply to be the steward of them until the time that he would hand them over to another person whose name would wind up going on the building, not David's. Just imagine what it would be like for David to wait and watch while Solomon got the vision. David was Solomon's father. He probably knew Solomon's shortcomings. Maybe he felt protective of his great idea. But there he stood. With one hand, he gave blueprints. And with the other, he laid down his ego. And the God of the universe received glory right in that moment when David gave worship that cost him. Chapter 29, verse 1. Then King David turned to the entire assembly and said, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the, it is for the Lord God himself. 
Using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. Now there's enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx, other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. And now, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I'm giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I've already collected. I'm donating more than 100 tons of gold and 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings and for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? David took his personal wealth and he laid it on the altar as an, as an offering. He did what we can only describe as a retirement altering donation. For a building he would not get to build. For a building he wouldn't even live to see but it would be the dwelling place of God, and therefore David withheld nothing. What do you do with your wealth, whether it's money or great ideas or your time or your possessions? At, at my house, we all agree that my mother is the best cook in the world. And my parents were here visiting at Christmas and when they left, my mom left our freezer stocked with a bunch of homemade things she made for us. Pies, cookies, soups, spaghetti sauce, all kinds of stuff. So that throughout the winter I could go to the freezer and from the storehouse of what she gave us, we ate like kings. But as spring came, and the reserves began to dwindle, one night Nick went to the freezer and he reached for cookies. And I said, hey, 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 I'll say when we're going to eat those cookies. <laughs> After all, she's my mother. <laughs> and then on spring break, one day Nick and our daughter were gone and I snuck to the freezer. I got soup and I ate it for lunch and dinner. What had been given to us as a gift I was claiming for just me. David didn't do that. He recognized that everything he had was from God and he lavished it back on God. He offered his personal wealth as a sacrifice. He worshiped God even when it cost him even in the midst of disappointment. If we could go around the room this morning, I realize each one of us has a story. Each one of us has ups and downs. Many of us, if not all of us, would be able to tell our own stories of disappointment. That's where worship is put to the test. Life not going the way we dreamt it would. I know you have disappointments. I have them too. I do. At those places, how do we bend our 
desires to God's when it hurts. As the kingdom is being transferred from David to Solomon and the plans for the temple are being shared, David gives some inspiring words to Solomon and I believe we can find some clues for how we can have hearts that are willing to worship even when worship has a price tag. Let's look at what David said to Solomon. My son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. And if you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as his sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. When worship comes at a price, what can help us still worship? The first thing, learn to know God intimately. Know the truth of who God is from the scriptures. We can't worship God authentically if we don't know him for who he really is. We can rehearse the goodness of God to us in the past, whether your past with God is one week or decades and decades We can connect with others in community so that they can observe the work of God in our lives when we're too disappointed to be able to see it. We can practice trusting in his goodness with the issues of our hearts. That day that I sat in line for that train, the day that I banged my head on the steering wheel, I just told God throughout this day when this disappointment comes back to me, I'm going to practice trusting in your goodness. And that was my act of worship that day. Disappointments can cut us to the core. There's no way we'll keep moving toward God unless we really know who he is and what he's done for us. It's a relationship between God and people. He gave his sacrifice on the cross when he gave Jesus so that you and I can waltz right in to that intimate personal relationship with him. We must know God intimately or we'll never be able to worship him. The next thing, worship and serve God with your whole heart and a willing mind. This is when your heart is happy, when your heart is sad, when the offerings ooze out of you, and when you have nothing left but the slightest hint of an act of the will. Even when you're tempted to walk away from the truth, this is when you don't. Almost every night of the week at our house, we kind of finish up the day by watching Wheel of Fortune at 7.30. 
We love spelling. We love competing. And so night after night, we watch it. And this past winter, I began to notice this commercial they showed every night. And I would kind of just sit there and roll my eyes. Well, one night, my daughter, who's in the third grade, said, Mommy, what do you think of that product? And I said, I don't believe it works. And she said, well, you know, when I first saw the commercial, I didn't believe it either. But night after night, as I watch it, I think they're convincing me. (laughs) Now, listen here, my friends. Minute by minute, hour by hour, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you and I are being bombarded with things that aren't true. Messages, philosophies, ways of thinking. In order To have a willing mind, we must fight the battle where we keep our mind lined up with the mind of God. Romans 12.2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Some of us believe lies, and when we do, we make decisions based on lies. Some of us dwell on hateful thoughts toward others. Some of us have allowed perverted things to get into our minds. Some of us have bought into a culture that no longer cares what God thinks. And until we let God change those secret most places in our minds, we'll not be willing to worship. The final thing, David told Solomon, be strong and do the work. Sometimes we worship in a big gathering like this. Sometimes we go into the prayer closet to worship. We can worship all day long throughout the day no matter what we're doing. But there comes a time when our worship needs to be demonstrated by what we do. What we claim we believe about God most high must be lived out in what we do. When we know what God wants us to do and we do it, that's obedience. And that's an act of worship. I want to pray for us now. Holy Spirit, will you continue your process in us? Will you cause us to want to know you? Will you cause us to be willing? And then will you cause us to do the things God wants us to do? We look to you and we wait on you. Make it so. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.